When then Georgetown law professor David Cole was tapped last summer to be the next national legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union, it looked to most of the world that Hillary Clinton would be the next president. Well, Cole's job description changed rather dramatically on Election Day. Within days, the ACLU was telling Donald Trump, see you in court. And that's exactly where the ACLU has been since Cole took over the job 11 days before Trump's inauguration. David Cole is with us today on Bloomberg Law. David, thanks very much for joining us. Delighted to be here. L- let me start with uh, one of the pressing legal issues of the, the day, which is the implementation of the travel ban after the Supreme Court action this week. Hawaii, you were one of the groups that challenged the ban. Hawaii, which also challenged it, has gone to court to say, to seek a, a new court order um, to say that the, the Trump administration is not abiding by the Supreme Court decision. Is the ACLU going to do the same thing? Well, we've been coordinating with the Hawaii team, and we are filing something in the Hawaii court uh, uh, today. Um, uh, seems to make sense, at least at this point, to have it uh, you know, have it clarified in one court. Uh, it's the same set of issues, but we're we're very concerned with how the Trump administration has interpreted the Supreme Court's uh, decision, uh, which uh, said that any foreign national who has a f- family relationship or any relationship with a um, business or uh, entity in the United States that is formal, documented, and you know, in the ordinary course of business, uh, cannot be subject to the travel ban. Uh, and yet the uh, Trump administration yesterday rolled out a, a program in which they say, well, yeah, we recognize that for, you know, for fathers, mothers, uh, fathers-in-law, mothers-in-law, uh, sons, daughters, uh, not grandparents, not uh, aunts, not uncles. Or initially, they said not fiancés, um, even though we had, we had a fiancé in our case, and the court said, relationships like this ought to be protected. Um, they reversed themselves on the fiancé, but they're, at this point they're still holding the line on refusing to grant this recognition to uh, grandparents, grandchildren, uh, and, and the like. So, uh, yeah, so, so Hawaii went back into court for essentially a clarification from the court of uh, what it means to have a, a, a close relationship with a family member or an entity, a business, uh, in the United States. David, Looking at immigration policy more broadly, state officials from 10 states sent a letter to Jeff Sessions urging the Trump administration to end the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, saying that they would then dismiss the current lawsuit against the program. What is the ACLU doing as far as DACA and DREAMers? So we are uh, defending uh, DACA uh, folks wherever they get uh, they get into trouble. We had a case in in, uh, in Georgia just about uh, three weeks ago where a DACA recipient was put into deportation proceedings, and we went immediately went into federal court and, and got the uh, got the deportation case dismissed uh, against her. We're advocating, uh, you know, in in the in the in the public arena uh, on behalf of Dreamers, and you know, thus far. The Trump administration has not, with the exception of isolated instances, has not gone after DACA. It hasn't ended the DACA program. It is continuing to, uh, you know, re-up uh, DACA recipients. And I think they recognize that this would be politically, uh, you know, not very uh, advantageous to them to be going after kids, innocent kids who were uh, who were brought here 
uh, by their parents, but we're not are not responsible and are and are you know serious important members of our uh, of our community today. So we'll see. Uh, you know, if if, if he seeks to uh, undermine DACA, we'll we'll challenge him there. And and where they have gone after individual DACA people, we've uh, sought to defend them. I, I, David, I find it very interesting the the overlap between the the DACA issue and and the the travel ban because both have to do with how much uh, discretion the president has over over the border and immigration policy. I do want to ask you one more travel ban related question. Yeah. So um, uh, after the ruling, you you tweeted um, that that on the merits of that issue, it's not quote not looking good for president um, Justice Thomas seem to suggest something very different when the court ruled this week. He, he suggested that a majority of the court, in fact, said uh, th- that the court uh, found that the government or, or implied that the government was likely to win, win the case on the merits. I- is he wrong about that? Absolutely. And it's interesting that, you know, it's true. Justice Thomas said that in a separate opinion joined by Justices Alito and Thomas, I mean, uh, Justices Alito and Gorsuch. Um, but no other justice joined that opinion. And if you read the, the per curiam opinion, uh, the opinion for the court, uh, they very carefully avoid addressing whether the plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits or whether the government is likely to succeed on the merits. They essentially did not um, – they, they didn't really signal uh, one way or the other. Some people – and I was tweeting an article by uh, uh, Marty Lederman, a uh, uh, a law professor at Georgetown who's a, uh, a a major commentator on constitutional issues and he was he was making the argument that um, if you if you look at what they did this is the president of the United States coming into the court and saying to the court these these lower courts have struck down a national security immigration measure in an area where i have uh, a, essentially plenary power. David, uh, a moment ago, I had to cut you off uh, uh, when we were talking about the travel ban. You were uh, explaining why you don't see what the Supreme Court did uh, this week as being a sign that ultimately it will rule in favor of Donald Trump on the travel ban. Maybe I could ask you to briefly uh, finish what you were saying there. Yeah, yeah, I I think the bottom line is, look, the court upheld the injunction with respect to uh, anyone with a connection to the United States, which which are all the plaintiffs in the case, these cases were brought by U.S.-based people or U.S.-based entities that had connections to foreign nationals abroad. And so, the court, if, if the court thought that this injunction was completely illegitimate and interfered with President Trump's authority, lawful authority, why would they leave it in place for all the plaintiffs in the lawsuit? If I could, I want to step back and ask you a bigger picture question. Um, as you look back on your your time at the ACLU, what do you see right now as the biggest threat to civil liberties in this country? Well, I think the answer to that is President Donald Trump. Uh, and maybe uh, the second answer would be uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Uh, you know, the, Donald Trump uh, has shown really very little uh, respect for, in some instances, very little understanding of basic uh, rules that govern and protect us uh, as Americans. So, you know, as a, uh, as a president-elect, he, he tweeted that flag burners should be, uh, should be jailed and should have their citizenship stripped. And that was remarkable because in a single 140-character tweet, he proposed two 
clearly unconstitutional actions. The Supreme Court has said you can't uh, punish people for burning a flag. It's First Amendment protected speech. And you can't take people's citizenship away from them, no matter uh, how heinously they act. It's just not uh, a, a permissible act. He has attacked the press. Uh, um, uh, called them the enemy of the uh, of the people. Uh, he's doing everything he can to undermine essentially the fourth estate, which performs a critical function in checking uh, uh, government. Uh, he has gone after immigrants uh, in a way that uh, condemns a particular religion, uh, something that is clearly unconstitutional under the Establishment Clause, and that's the principal reason that the courts have uh, ruled against him. He has been utterly dismissive of the role of courts, uh, calling the first judge who enjoined his travel ban a, a so-called judge. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think uh, this is, a, this is a, a, a time when civil rights and civil liberties are really very much under uh, attack. But the, the positive side is that I think Americans understand that. Americans have come forward in, in ways that I've never seen, frankly, never seen in my uh, career as a as a constitutional lawyer uh, in defense of liberty, and at the end of the day, because we are a democracy, uh, that's that's where our salvation lies. Well, the ACLU along that line has been breaking records as far as donations since Trump became president. Where are you now with donations, and what are your plans for those extra funds? So yeah, donations and membership. I, I, I tell people, you know, before I started working for the ACLU in January. We had 425,000 members. Uh, today, we have over 1.6 million members. Now, that's not I can't really claim credit for that. I think Donald Trump can claim credit for that. Um, but that's a tremendous uh, uh, showing of force of American citizens banding together around the, the organization that has defended civil liberties the longest in the United States to help stand up against Donald Trump. They've also uh, given uh, made donations, uh, online donations. We've had online donations that we've never seen before, uh, and we are um, uh, uh, spending those in defense of liberty. So we are expanding our immigrants' rights project. We're expanding our voting rights project. We're expanding our reproductive freedom project, and we are also um, push, pushing out a lot of that uh, those resources to our affiliates. We uh, have a national office. Uh, of about 100 lawyers, but we also have 200 lawyers spread out across the country in affiliates. Every state essentially has an, an ACLU affiliate, an ACLU of Illinois, of Oregon, et cetera. And we are building their capacity because the threats don't just come from Washington. The threats also come from those who have been inspired by Donald Trump's uh, election to, for example, seek to suppress uh, uh, um, uh, voting or to seek to uh, put new restrictions on reproductive freedom or take away protections for uh, 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 LGBT folks. So, so you know, we're, we're as busy as we've ever been. We're building our capacity to do that. We're still, of course, way outnumbered and way out uh, financed by uh, the Trump administration, by the Justice Department, which has, you know, thousands of lawyers. Um, but we're doing what we can. David, there are so many things I'd love to ask you about, but I, one thing I really want to get at is uh, religious rights, which has been so much of an issue in the courts these days, and the, the tension that we seem to be having between religious rights and other rights like reproductive uh, and, and gay rights. And there's this new case right. at the Supreme Court called Masterpiece Cake Shop, where you have a Colorado baker who says he has a religious and, and he says an expressive objection to making cakes for same-sex weddings. 
How do you strike that balance between those those two different rights that I know you care about, religious rights on one hand and, and gay rights on the other? Right. So we defend religious freedom. We have a religious freedom project. We are often uh, defending all, you know, religions of all sects who have been targeted for uh, for for treatment that uh, interferes with their ability to exercise their religion. But we also rep- uh, defend uh, the rights of LGBT folks and, and women and the like. And, and our, this is this is where we draw the line. Your right to exercise your religion uh, is full and should be protected up to the point where you are inflicting harm on a third party. When you start inflicting harm on a third party, when you start engaging in discriminatory action, which is what the Colorado case is about, uh, that's no longer within religious freedom. So religious freedom up to the point that you hurt others. Did the so did the so-called playground case in the Supreme Court decided recently weaken the separation between church and state? You have about thirty seconds, David. Well, it's the first time in history that the court has uh, required a, a state to give direct financial support to a, a religious institution. So, yes, it definitely watered down the uh, separation of church and state. I want to thank our guest. That's David Cole. He's the National Legal Director of the American Civil Liberties Union. Took uh, took over that job just about the time Donald Trump, Trump took over his, and he has been very busy. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on Bloomberg Law, David Cole. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. We'll be back next week. Thanks to our technical director, Chris Tricomi, and our producer, David Sutterman. You can find more legal news at BloombergLaw.com and BloombergBNA.com, plus an invaluable website for the legal community at BigLawBusiness.com. Coming up on Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson. They have a full agenda for you, and they'll take you through the close of the market to end this week. Stay tuned for that and more here on Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.